Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of the fellowship, as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to, and we may be swept off in this episode here today. But before we get into our meat and potatoes, we're going to babble like Butterbur for a little bit. So I'm going to check in with my brother Seth over there in Michigan. How the heck are you, man? What's up? Uh, <laughs> Uh, we've had better days. Uh, it was awesome. We had Steven and Maddie out here for a few days last week. Uh, and then unfortunately the last day they were here, uh, Steven's our other brother, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. it was awesome having them. But unfortunately on Sunday, the last day they were here, I came down with something and I had a fever and body aches and it was miserable. Uh, I was supposed to go back to work yesterday, ended up taking a COVID test. <laughs> the day before just because i still didn't feel right and sure enough it's we got covid again don't really know how um but it hit us again and it's a lot harder being sick when you have a wife that gets sick and an infant that gets sick i don't know that evie got covid necessarily but she was just screaming her head off for a few days no matter what you did you just couldn't get her to stop um, but thankfully that seems to have cleared a little bit for her, but she still is pretty, pretty, uh, I don't know, sensitive right now. Just sure. very, very sensitive when it comes to the way she's acting and just losing her mind at everything. So it's exhausting. Yeah, that sounds rough. I was thinking about that. I told Ariel, like, it's like, yeah, Seth has COVID and Amanda's sick and, and Evie's sick. Like. You know, when I when I get sick, I can milk it as as the guy, and I can just lay in bed and have Ariel wait on me and stuff. But like, you know, you can't do that. You you've got a, a wife who's sick as well. But not only that, you have a baby that's sick as well that needs you. And so it's not like you can just rest on the couch and watch Lord of the Rings. You have to, you know, be there for them for everything that they need too. That's that's sounds really tough. Yeah, I don't think I realized, or Amanda realized for that matter, just how how hard it is when the baby is sick as well, just because it's like, like you mentioned, you kind of take care of each other. You know, even if we're sick at the same time, whoever's feeling a little better, will trade off yeah. and taking care of the other one. But when there's an infant that requires 24 seven um, support, I guess you'd say it makes it mm. a lot harder. Yeah, man. So what has that uh, done for your, your working out life? What have you been able to get done or are you doing anything? I haven't worked out for a while. I was going to work out with Steven and Maddie once um, on that Sunday. And unfortunately, I got sick and I haven't worked out since then. I'm maybe going to try to do something today. I'm feeling a little bit better. Um, but yeah, it's it's frustrating. Yeah, I can believe that. Oof, man. What are you well, guys I, up to? I'd say we're doing a little bit better than you guys are. Probably a lot better, actually. Um, but no, we, we've uh, been having a really busy season starting up right now. We are doing, um, this is actually the first time I'm telling you about this too. I haven't really told many people, but uh, we're we're jumping into a couple different groups. So obviously, like I've mentioned in the past, home groups is a change what we're doing for student ministries. So I'm leading a group of senior guys on Monday nights at our house and Ariel's leading her group of junior girls on Thursday nights. 
Mm. And uh, I have a men's group on Thursday nights. And then obviously we have students Wednesday nights. And then on Tuesday nights, we're jumping, we jumped into a new group that started this last Tuesday. It's a foster care group. So interesting through this course, it's like a court, it's like a class and a group, but um, it's eight weeks long. And by the end of the eight weeks, you can choose to do one of two things. You can be a foster champion, um, which is pretty much just coming alongside a foster family and providing them relief and aid and offering them help as, uh, you know, with whatever they, they need, or you can be certified to be your own foster parent. And so that's something that Ariel and I have been thinking about for a little while. We've been praying about and feel God's calling us to that. You know, we have this house now that's not big by any means, but it's got a couple empty bedrooms that, you know, could be given to somebody who doesn't have a room. And so, you know, that's something that we've been really thinking about and we're excited about the opportunity of what that looks like. Um, so does that mean you're going to go ahead and become foster parents? I mean, we can't until we get certified. So it's going to be at least seven weeks at this point. Um, sure. But we've just kind of decided that we're going to really keep our, our mind and our hearts open and see what comes of it at the end of it. You know, by the time we come to that end of the class to kind of decide what we want to do, we love the idea of it. And even just after the first class, like um, our instructor mentioned that the number one uh, child that gets rejected from almost every single foster home is teenage boys for whatever reason, you know, they are not given a home and this organization, it's a private organization, so it's not through the state, but they said that they get calls on a daily basis that they're rejecting people because they don't have anyone who will be able like, cause you can, you can choose like what age group you want to foster or who you want to foster. And nobody's willing to take in teenage boys, like middle school and high school boys. And, you know, because that's my job, you know, and I, I love doing that. We both, Ariel and I both have just like been like, wow, we, we could do that. We could take in a teenage boy and it'd be weird, you know, being just like 10 years older than these kids. But, sure. you know, it's, it's something that we believe is, is furthering the kingdom. It's what we're called to do is take care of widows and orphans. And, you know, if it's providing a safe place for them to, you know, hang out until their family figures things out and then they go back to them. Great. Or if it's long-term and we ended up adopting them, I don't know. So it's something, like I said, it's just a whole new journey that we're, we're going on and just letting God give us uh, the wisdom and discernment we need. That's exciting. I hope, I hope it all works out for you guys. That's a lot to, that's a lot to mull over. Yeah. Yeah. We've been like, like I said, we've been praying about it for a little bit. And when this class opened up, one of my coworkers has also fostered to adopt and, yeah, he's a big advocate of it and says it's a really, you know, just a great thing. And so it's it's nice having him you know, pretty close. And I even called Sarah because she's starting that whole foster organization um, that's partnering with Flatirons back at the church she works at, or other, our sister Sarah, that is. Um, and so we had a conversation about it and she was excited. And so we have people around us that know know the process and can give us some good wisdom. Sure. So, well, that's yeah. cool, bud. That's I'm exciting. glad that you guys are doing that. Yeah. It's a lot, ex- a lot more exciting than the, the Broncos' uh, season opener. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, I was sick, so I didn't really stay up to watch past halftime. But it sounds like they, <laughs> they should have won. But one of the biggest things, know. one of the biggest things I hate about living on the Eastern time zone is just how late the games are. Like yep. Monday night football used to be six twenty, now it's eight twenty, and I'm like, I go to bed at nine. <laughs> Right. I, I can barely watch the first quarter. Are you kidding me? But that also means that the 11 o'clock games are at one. So when I go to church and I don't get back until about one, I'm not missing anything. However, we don't usually have very many one o'clock games 
Yeah, I was so. gonna say most of them are two fifteen or I guess they four fifteen, four thirty. So yeah. Yeah. No, I feel you there. Well, it's good to catch up. Uh we haven't podcasted in a couple of weeks. I'm sorry you're not feeling well. I'm glad you got to enjoy time with uh with Steven and Maddie. They're coming out here in uh October. So they're making their rounds, which is really cool of them, I think. So yeah, it was, it was awesome spending time with them and seeing, you know, seeing them both interact with Evelyn and we got to take them up to Traverse City, which is uh, up north a little bit. And it, we rent, Stephen and I rented a paddleboard and swam That's in the cool. Great Lake and it was it was awesome. We had a great time. Have you seen so one of my coworkers or one of my volunteers went to Michigan a while back and there's like this sand dune there and i haven't been there yet but okay that's on my bucket list it's about two and a half hours away from us it's called sleeping Is bear it? sand dunes yeah. yeah yeah okay he showed me a picture of it and it's just like one big long sand dune with the lake at the bottom but then there's like signs that say if you can't get up you have to be airlifted out of there and it's like yep. what two thousand dollars or something like that to do that yeah, yeah i don't know it's around that though it's which obviously we could get back up. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm looking forward to visiting there and doing that at some point. Hopefully, hopefully next summer if we can make it work. That's cool. That's cool seeing like I mean we always thought at least I always thought Colorado had everything and was the coolest place you know to be, but you know I've seen a lot of really cool things here in Kentucky and likewise for you in Michigan. So that's it's really cool. Yeah, the Colorado elitism wears off a little bit. <laughs> it does. It does. It really, really does. Especially when you can afford a house somewhere else. It's crazy. And, well, we have definitely babbled long enough here. Let's jump into Riddles in the Dark. Riddles in the Dark, where we choose a random page from our trilogy book and try to stump the other on context and characters. So, Seth, why don't you go first on this one? Okie dokie. Let's see. Oh, here's a decent, here's a decent one. Um, Lovely. I'm ready. Yes, I know what you mean. There might be all the difference between an old cow sitting thoughtfully and chewing and a bull charging, and the change might come suddenly. Hmm. Uh, that almost sounds like something that they, that Gandalf might be mentioning to, like, the the hunters as he's talking about the trees and, and the ants waking up, you know, that kind of sounds like that would be a, an analogy for them. But I also don't think that's how Gandalf would necessarily talk either. <laughs> that sounds like more of like a, a hobbit talking. Uh, you're on the right lines. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with fellowship of the ring. Um, and I'm going to, for whatever reason, I'm thinking this is, um, like near the beginning with, um, oh, what's his name? The, the other hobbit that was left behind. Frediger. Yeah. Frediger Bolger. No. Oh, for two. Oh, for two. You wanna... All right. You're on the right track though. Uh, yeah, you can just tell me. <laughs> uh, it, here, let me read just the next little bit. I wonder if Treebeard will, Treebeard will rouse them. I'm sure he means to try, but they don't like uh, being roused. Treebeard got roused himself last night, then bottled it up again. <laughs> so I was right at the beginning. I, yes, it's it's Merry and Pippin talking together as they're at uh, Treebeard's house in the Two Towers. Then I guess. Yep. Exactly. Well done. That's, I love that section of the book. Like, I do too. I mean, I understand that you couldn't really do a whole lot of that if you're Peter Jackson, just just lengthwise 
you know, as as long as the movies already were. But that was such a fun little addition. You get to see how Treebeard lives his life. You get to see his house and his bed, and he just likes his draught. He drinks a lot of yeah. it. Like it's, I don't yeah. know, it's 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 cool. I agree. I really like that scene in the in the, in the books, and even like the song that the songs that he sings. And yeah, yeah, very creative. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Let me find something good. Mm. I won't use names, but you'll probably be able to guess pretty quickly. So he muttered something inaudible. It's out of his head, his own head, of course. He said, I'm learning a lot about this character on this journey. First, he was a conspirator and now he's a jester. He'll end up becoming a wizard or a warrior. I hope not. I don't want to be either. I feel like that's Frodo talking about Sam and the fellowship. You are absolutely correct. Yeah. I was going to uh, say, that sounds like a conspiracy unmasked. Is that the chapter? No, it is not. Okay, so then it's in Rivendale. Right before that. It's uh, the flight to the Ford. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's a decent one. Yeah. I, I wanted to go, you know, first book since i haven't done a whole lot of that one but it is it is pretty interesting how different kind of dialogue the the hobbits have as opposed to the other characters you know well that's what makes tolkien's writing so good that unfortunately rings of power sucks at but (laughs) you can tell the different race based on how they talk like distinctly right away right off the bat 100 percent, absolutely I would say we uh, thought about adding a section to talk about the latest Rings of Power episodes, but I mean, they're really not much worth talking about. We might do a podcast here and there if something catches our eye or interest, but I'll say the last two episodes, I think they've been a little bit better, but I've not, there was nothing that was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Like, I don't know. It's just, it was kind of boring, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I watched the newest one this morning. Um... And yeah, the third episode was terrible. It was awful. And then the one this morning, half of it was mildly entertaining. Um, and then the whole, I don't know, Gladriel is the worst character in the in the entire show. And I'm sick of anything with her is just frustrating and annoying. I love how easily she just threw those guards into the into the jail yeah. and left. <laughs> just like she took out the snow troll all on her own. I mean, yep, she has one emotion still and that hasn't changed in almost five hours of the show right oh yeah it is what it is but (laughs) i asked amanda i was like do you want to watch this with me or do you not even care she's like honestly no (laughs) i'd rather read it's boring that's exactly the same reaction i've gotten with ariel because i was hoping like this would be something that we could watch together it'd be like something new and she's like i don't care for it at all yeah but i don't know anyway We'll <laughs> like see, I said, maybe it'll get better, but I doubt it. Yeah, and I mean, I'll probably keep watching it, but it's definitely one of those things. It's just, it's hard when you don't know. I don't know the the original characters they have, like the Payne and McKay characters, as opposed to Tolkien characters, seem to be given a lot more power, or or like not power, but like a lot more time in the show there's a lot more screen time there's a lot more story arc with those and it's like i don't really care for those i, I mean ron deer is cool it's enough because but... it's because amazon has diversity quotas that have to be met 
and there aren't enough of those types of people yeah. in Tolkien's actual characters, so they have to fill up the time with their diversity people. Not to mention they're arrogant enough to think that they could write the story that Tolkien never did, which is just obscene to think that. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree. Anyway. On to the meat and potatoes. Today's lore is brought to you by a friend of mine, a coworker of mine, Marcus Schaefer, who was like, hey, Sam, I've been listening to your podcast and I really enjoy it. You should do something on the Eagles. He's like, I, we were watching The Hobbit recently and, you know, the end of The Hobbit when they, when they take the Eagles away, we'll talk about that here in a bit. And he's like, I just want to know more about them. Like, they're very, uh, very unique ca- uh, creatures that kind of seem to come all, all at the right times. And so could you do a podcast on that? And I was like, yeah, that's awesome actually, because you know, there really isn't a whole lot about the Eagles, but they do come at the most opportune times as we'll find out. But a little background on them, obviously yeah, they I was, were created. I was just oh, going to say, I, I, I was just going to say, I think that's a, that your friend had an awesome idea here just because they really kind of come and go throughout the stories and they're never really focused on. And so it was kind of fun to dig through. I, I went through the Silmarillion, the Fellowship, and the Hobbit to kind of put this document together that we're going through. And it's just, it was kind of fun to actually dive into something that just really is kind of overlooked in a lot of ways. Yes, agreed. And I will say too, like for everyone listening, Seth is our 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 miner, if you will, of Tolkien lore especially last few episodes he's been the one to really put everything together and take a lot of his time to make sure these outlines are done really really well so huge thanks to you there brother um but i'll jump in with the creation of the eagles as we talked about in our very second episode i guess of the creation of everything eru ilvatar or god so to speak uh, he creates everything during the music of the ainur and during that time he understood the desires of the Valar Manway, one that we've talked a lot about too. And in the Silmarillion, Manway recounts what he was told by Eru. He said, Did not thy thought and mind meet also, so that we took wing together like great birds that soar above the clouds? That also shall come to be by the heed of Ilavatar. And before the children awake, that's the elves and men, there shall go forth with wings like the wind of eagles of the lords of the west. This sounds pretty exciting. Manway's like, Wow. In the mountains, the eagles shall house and hear the voices of those who call upon us. So obviously we see kind of there, Manway is, you know, he, he's known with the winds as well. And the eagles obviously soaring on the great winds and being lords of the West. And Tolkien always goes back to the West. You know, that's his big thing is always taking things back to the West. And so this is kind of the first peak that we get upon the eagles and the eagles were possessed with the ability to see through everything which is awesome i think that's really really neat that they could see through anything and everything except the blackness of morgoth's pits so again we've talked a lot about how dark how darkness and light and i think they're trying to do this a little bit with the rings of power like that idea of lightness and darkness and a lot of their dialogues around that but they just aren't hitting it in the same way that tolkien did you know morgoth's darkness was such a deep darkness that not even the eagles could see through it and so I think that's really cool how Tolkien brings in um, both of those things. But notable uh, involvement as far as Tolkien's writings, the Eagles were most active in the First Age and the Third Age, playing a large role throughout Middle-earth, especially um, the, the rescuing of Frodo and Sam, as you've all have heard about as well. But during the Second Age, there wasn't a whole lot about them. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But they enjoyed the Ayers or their bird's nests of the Holy Mountain 
Minotarma, which we'll talk more about here coming up. Yeah, so we kind of broke this down by age and then what they did uh, in each little snippet. Um, so the first the first awesome thing that we get to talk about is during the first age uh, and the rescue of Maedhros. Uh So Maedhros was the eldest son of Feanor who came across the, the sea with his father to try to reclaim the Silmarils. Um, and this is after his father had died. So Maedhros was gonna be uh i guess he was first in line for the throne or the high king of the noldor basically um but he got captured by morgoth and morgoth actually chained him by his wrist up to the top of the thangaradrim which is this giant mountain uh range right outside of angband so uh he's basically just been hanging there i forget exactly how long it said in the silmaril uh, the silmarillion but it was a very long time, years upon years, he was just hanging from this mountain. That's horrible. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely terrible. And so this character, uh, Fingon, uh, the son of Fingolfin, he comes and he, they were really good friends, even though uh, Maedhros's father, Feanor, burned the ships and fin Fingolfin and Fingon and all of them had to still cross the Helcaraxae. He didn't really mm -hmm. hold it against him. He knew that they were still good friends at heart from their time back in Valinor. Um, so he went searching for his friend Maedhros and he, he ended up finding him hanging from uh, the Thangaradrum. And so he climbed as far up as he could and when he couldn't get there anymore... He called out and Maethros actually responded. And basically he just said, put me out of my misery, kill me. <laughs> like, you can't get to me. You can't rescue me. Please just take me out. And, and uh, Fingon actually, as he was crying, he cried out to, to Manway and said, O king to whom all birds are dear, speed now this feathered shaft and reclaim some pity for the Noldor in their need. Basically saying help this shot land true and kill my best friend or not best Bummer. friend, but really good friend. Yeah. Um, and so Fingon, as he was about to draw his bow back and release the shaft, uh, the Rondor, who was the King of the Eagles swooped down and picked him up, took him up towards where Maedhros was. Um, and Tolkien describes him as the mightiest of all birds whose outstretched wings span 30 fathoms, which when I Googled what 30 fathoms was, that's 180 feet. So they have 180 Jeez. feet wingspan. That's over half of a football field. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So these things are massive. Um, but he flew him up there. And when Fingon couldn't break the chains to rescue Maedhros, he actually ended up cutting off Maedhros's arm uh, just, hmm. just above where the chain was on the wrist. And then... Uh, Throndor, the Lord of Eagles, flew them away to safety. So that's kind of the the first like rescue that they have. There, you'll see kind of a trend that they're used quite often for rescue. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The next one we see, we've talked a bit about it in our previous uh, Baron and Lithian series podcasts, but uh, we see the rescue uh, at Angband when it was reawakening when Baron and Luthien had reawakened Angband and Morgoth and. Uh, Baron's hand was bitten off and death was near. Everything was looking glim and dark and horrible. And then the same eagle, Throndir, the Lord of the Eagles, swoops down and rescues Baron and Luthien. And while they're being carried away, this is a really cool glimpse that they get of 
the bright lights of Gondolin, the elven uh, kingdom that <clears throat> is hidden. And uh, so it's interesting that Tolkien just kind of ties all his little stories together through this. You know, you get to see how Middle-earth and uh, beyond his entire creation is so connected. It's so interconnected. And I, I yeah, I, I'm, I'm blown away by it. But yeah, that's our second rescue of uh, using of the eagles. Yeah, so uh, staying kind of along the Gondolin uh, storyline a little bit. Uh, there's a couple of characters named Hurin and Huor. You might have heard Hurin specifically from the Children of Hurin, uh, which is kind of a standalone story that Tolkien wrote, which is actually my favorite. It's much smaller than the Lord of the Rings or anything, but it's one of the the tales uh, of Beleriand of the First Age that Tolkien actually fleshed out, and it's it's very well written and. Uh, the guy that plays Saruman, uh, Christopher Lee, actually does the audible version of the book. So it's actually Are you serious. Yeah, I did not he know passed that. Away, he he was the one that reads it. So wow. I highly recommend listening to Children of Hurin. Um, but that's where our eagles come in. The next time is Hurin and his brother uh, Hur were out with a hunting party in kind of the northern area of Valerian when they got ambushed by orcs and they got scattered and. After a while of wandering, they were around the Crusagrim, which is where uh, the uh, kind of it's like a mountain range that surrounds Gondolin. And mm. we have eagles living up in the eyres of, of the Crusagrim to watch out for t- to help protect Gondolin, basically, because Gondolin's the hidden city. Um, yep. And so the eagles, uh, Throndor actually sends a couple eagles down to go pick them up and deliver the brothers to Turgon, the king of Gondolin because he's like, look, they're lost. They don't know where they're going. Um, and we don't, want, we don't want them to die. So after getting dropped off the uh, in Gondolin, they were there for about a year. And then after a year, Hurin basically told Turgon, he's like, hey, we appreciate you, you know, your hospitality and everything, but we're not like elves. We don't get to live forever. We need to go back to our, our kin, and we need to fight against Morgoth because our time is limited. Um, and what uh, Turgon actually says is pretty interesting. He said um, that they're not allowed to leave because it's the hidden city that no mortal mm-hmm. eyes had, had set uh, right. vision upon yet. Um, and Huron responds by saying, we did not find the road. Indeed, we, did not, we do not know surely where this city stands, for we were brought in fear and wonder by the highways of the air, and in mercy our eyes were veiled. And then Turgon basically just said, by the way you came, you have leave to return if Thorondor is willing. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, the eagles come in, they save the day by rescuing Hurin and Huor, which, just a quick aside, um, Hurin basically saves Turgon's life later on uh, during the Children of Hurin, and then Huor's son, Tuor, actually is the father of Erendel. So if the Eagles wouldn't have stepped in at this point, we would have had a much rougher time in Middle-earth, we'll say. Um, yeah, and, and no Elrond. Yeah, no Elrond, no War of Wrath, no Silmaril in the sky. <laughs> yeah. All of that. Yeah. So, yeah, they come in again. Uh, and then kind of the last thing they do in the First Age is the Eagles actually participate in the War of Wrath, which is when the Valar, um, Erendel goes, takes his ship, Vingulot, to Valinor to beg the, the Valar to help out, and they decide to come help. 
Um, and so Arendelle actually flies in the skies with, with the eagles and does battle with the dragons, the winged dragons of Morgoth. So while everybody else is fighting and everything, Arendelle and the eagles are actually taking on the dragons, which is really cool. Um, they end up killing Ancalagon the Black, who is the mightiest of all the dragon host, and they cast him from the sky. And it's and Tolkien says that when he landed upon the Thangaradra after dying, that he destroyed three peaks of the mountains because of how how big he was. Yeah, have you seen those like depictions? I don't, like on I think I've seen one on like Facebook, but it shows like the size references for different dragons like throughout Middle Earth. Like yeah. you think Smaug is the biggest? Like oh my gosh, Smaug is huge. And he's just like a, a just a baby in comparison to and Caligon. and Caligon, That's right. Yeah. Yep. But I was like, holy cow! Like this would be this would be super cool to see on green. Take up the entire yeah, screen. It would. Be cool. <laughs> yeah. Have to be a really far away shot. Really yeah. Yeah. Well, that takes us to the second age of the eagles. And like I mentioned before, not a whole lot of information about the eagles in the second age, um, but they are involved a lot with the island of Numenor, uh, something we've seen a lot in the last two episodes of Rings of Power, the third and fourth episodes, if you've been seeing those, which actually, I mean, this aside, like I, I really do like the visuals of, of Numenor. I think it's gorgeous. I love the statues that they pay homage to and stuff like that. So uh, I do say I like that, um, but they had a an ire or a nest on the king's house in Armenelos. And so that was kind of up top there on the king's house, and they just kind of hung out. It's interesting that any time that anyone would mount or summit the mountain of Meneotarma, three eagles would appear. So this is a really interesting part of Tolkien's mythology that we don't really talk about very often. I don't know hardly anything about, which, I mean, just kind of doing the little research that I have, I'll... I'd love to dive further into this, but the Numenors, Numenorians, which we'll probably see in the in the show, are very religious, very religious people, and so they worship um, Eru Ilvatar, and this mountain, uh, Menaltarma, is their holy mountain that they've devoted to to Eru Ilvatar, and anyone who climbs it is bound to absolute silence. They're required that they cannot speak anything, which is interesting. Only the king is allowed to utter prayers and thanksgiving. And so there's three prayers that the king would utter to Ilavatar. And during that time, the three eagles would light up the sky. They'd go into the sky and they'd fly around, circling the, the top of the mountain until the, uh, until the three prayers had finished down. So this happened, you know, every once in a while, whenever somebody would climb up there during the festivals that the Numenorians would do for their religious uh, stuff. But then... As Sauron's deception enters Numenor and his lies and his deceit and his uh, the sacrifices that he ends up giving, like telling the Numenorians to sacrifice to him, you know the Valars are seeing this and they're like, "This is this is horrible." And so the Numenorians would see every once in a while a great cloud coming out of the west. Again, coming out of the west, you see that theme very, very often, um, but in the shape of an eagle, in the shape of shape of an eagle. And, and Tolkien says, "Slowly it would loom up." blotting out the sunset and it would always come in the evening and then as soon as it blotted out the sunset it was completely and utterly dark like nightfall would happen um but some of the eagles would bore like lightning beneath their wings and thunder would echo between the sea and the cloud and so this is just kind of foreshadowing the doom that the Numenorians are about to uh, experience and uh, Tolkien even says that the Numenorians would cry out in fear they would say behold the eagles of the lords of the west the eagles of Manway are come upon Numenor 
And again, like I said, the clouds were sent by the Valar to warn them of the of their of their folly and the doom that awaited them for giving into Sauron's deception. Yeah, and another thing to add to that, which is pretty interesting, if you read the Encalabeth, which is the fall of the Num- of Numenor um, at the end of the Silmarillion, uh, it's actually really interesting. Apparently, Sauron at this point he was basically in charge of everything, even though Arpharazan was still the king. Um, Sauron basically ruled from behind the throne, and Sauron would go and actually when when Salmon mentioned like the lightning and everything, it would actually strike down and start fires or strike people and yeah, um, yeah. and in the Encalabeth, it's described as Sauron would go out there and stand in the middle of it and it wouldn't hit him. And so the black new or the I guess the Kingsmen as they're called in the show and um, everything, they ended up seeing that and worshiping him as a god because they're like okay well we're terrified of these you know these eagles and the lightning and the thunder and everything and it's hurting people like other men and all this but then sauron stands and he's unharmed and so they end up worshiping him a little bit too yeah yeah it's definitely not where you want to go at all with uh, (laughs) worshiping sauron not not a good call yeah which is something and we can maybe touch on this at another time a little deeper but I think that's what makes it so hard for the show to encapsulate is the fall of Numenor because they're time compressing thousands of years. And basically all you see, like you're jumping into the story where, okay, now we have the Kingsmen and the Faithful already and Mm -hmm. our fire is on already. And it's like, okay, well, you missed out on the tons of generations before where they were doing these worship um, rituals to Eru and these prayers and um, it just kind of takes away from the extent and the the depth of why the Numenorians are scared of death. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah, they're focusing a lot on just the hatred towards the elves and you know that that issue as opposed to yeah, it was you know, the fear of death and trying to find as we all do as humans do, if something doesn't seem to be working anymore, we turn our worship towards something else and see if that works. And that's exactly their story too. But Yep. All right. So let's jump into the third age here. Um, so this is probably some stuff you'll be more familiar with as you've probably read, if not uh, listened to, or at least watched the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings series. Well, I guess I'd say trilogy for both of them, even though the <laughs> Hobbit trilogy shouldn't be. Right. Um, but so the first time we see the Eagles uh, in the Hobbit is actually when they rescue Thorn and company from the goblins uh, after escaping Goblin Town. This is right after Bilbo finds the ring and jumps over Smeagol to escape. Uh, and the goblins all rush out to try to attack him. They've got all those fun songs. Uh, and we find our, our dwarves, our wizard, and our hobbit climbed up in a tree trying to get away. Um, and this is actually where Tolkien describes in The Hobbit itself as he's speaking of the eagles. And he said, down they came like huge black shadows. The dark rush of their beating wings smote them to the floor or drove them far away. Their talons tore at goblin faces. So basically, these massive eagles come flying down and just the the amount of air that comes from the wings and the gusts of wind from it drove the the goblins away. Um, And I actually really enjoyed this part of the Hobbit. The uh, Tolkien goes into little conversations with 
the Eagles more so than you really see elsewhere. Yeah. Um, it kind of shows their personalities a little bit and stuff. Uh, and this is actually at the end of the chapter out of the frying pan fire. Uh, if you want to go read it. Uh, but just at the very beginning of the next chapter, when when Bilbo and company are getting flown away uh, towards where Bayorn lives, there's this little excerpt of uh, Bilbo who's being carried uh, by an eagle. The eagle said, don't pinch me. You need not be frightened like a rabbit, even though you rather look like one. It is a fair morning with little wind. What is finer than flying? <laughs> and that just, to me, kind of encapsulates like their personalities. They're just like, oh, yeah. It's a beautiful day out. We can just, you know, check out the the sights and just enjoy flying. Like, what worry is there when you're an eagle? Yeah, and as we'll get into a little bit further on, the eagles are their own race. They're sentient beings, meaning they can talk. They do feel things. They have emotions, and they have their own society and everything, too. So it's like they're, they realize just how small Bilbo is, not just in stature, even though they mentioned that as well, but you know just like ah we're we're flying man this is a good day like you mentioned like there's there's nothing better than this like this is what we do we're not yep. worried about your your petty gold or your wars or anything like that we're just enjoying time so then we jump into the battle of the five armies where we see the eagles come in and the airdropping of Bayorn, as Seth put in the the notes here, the I guess they they pop some smoke through it in there in the battle and then all of a sudden from the sky drops the big old bear, <laughs> Bayorn, as they see in the, in the Hobbit uh, movies there, which was funny. They had to just throw him in there because, you know, he was there, but I don't know if that's how he got there. It definitely isn't, but <laughs> it's kind of a creative liberty that is laughable, but mildly entertaining at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But the Eagles do per- uh, participate in the Battle of Five Armies. Um, as we always hear, the Eagles, the Eagles are coming and they're coming down the wind, line after line, and such a host as much have gathered from all the Ires of the North. So Tolkien just kind of saying, like, there's just a bunch of eagles coming down to help with this Battle of Five Armies. Um, but then the next time that we see the eagles is when Gandalf is rescued from Orthanc. And in the movies, you see Gandalf speaking to a moth and the moth fluttering away and, and most likely telling an eagle, hey, come save me. I think that's interesting because the eagles would only reside like so high, like there's no way a moth could actually. That's actually a good point. Gotten to them, right? Yeah. And so unless the unless Gwai here was just kind of hanging out close by, but anyway, that aside, Gandalf is up there on the top of Orthanc, obviously because Saruman has turned against him, has trapped him up there in the Fellowship of the Ring. And this is just a t- uh, excerpt of the Fellowship of the Ring. It says, "So it was that when summer waned, there came a ni- night of moon, and Gwaihir, the Wind Lord, swiftest of the greatest eagles, came unlooked for to Orthanc, meaning like nobody was expecting him to come. And he found me standing on the pinnacle, me being Gandalf. And then I spoke to him, and he bore me away before Saruman was aware. So again, it shows that Gandalf didn't need to speak to a little moth to get Gwaihir there. He was just hanging out, checking things out, and." kind of making sure everything was in order as it should be. Um, but it's interesting. Gandalf asks, how far can you bear me? Said, uh, he said to Gwaihir, Gwaihir said, many leagues, but not to the ends of the earth. I was sent to bear tidings, not burdens. Meaning, yeah, I'm a messenger. I'm not your beast of burden. Like, I'm doing this as a favor, but I really don't like, or I'm not meant to bear you. 
then right. Gandalf's like, all right, well, I got to find a steed. I got to find a horse on land. And he's like, oh, I'll, I'll bear you to Edoras then, where the Lord of the Rohans sit in his halls, he said, for that is not very far off. And Gandalf's, you know, obviously at this point, he'd just been betrayed by Saruman, knowing that Saruman has, you know, trying to get into the, the minds of Thaed and of Rohan. And he said, are the men of Rohan still to be trusted, do you think? Said uh, Gandalf said to Gwaihir, for the treason of Saruman has shaken my faith. And Gwaihir, again, responds, they pay a tribute of horses, he answered, and send many yearly to Mordor, or so it is said, but they are not yet under the yoke. But if Saruman has become evil, as you say, then their doom cannot be long delayed. So again, you see just how wise these animals are. They're not just eagles that don't have voices or thoughts or anything like that. They're, they're very aware of the things going on. You know, they're flying above everything. They see through everything, as we mentioned before. And so we see these are actual characters. They're not just like creatures. You know, a lot of, a lot of like Saruman and Morgoth and Sauron's minions are creatures. You know, they're not sentient like uh like these eagles so pretty pretty interesting yeah i i really like the little excerpts that they have of like conversations with the eagles because it really does exactly what sam's describing it makes you realize that they're sentient beings with their own motives their own desires um and that yeah they are just watching over middle earth and kind of gathering the news and keeping an eye on everything um so yeah, uh, we jump right into the next time, which is, again, just a little bit down the road uh, in the Fellowship of the Ring. I think that this is described from the Two Towers, though, when Gandalf is recounting uh, everything yes. uh, yeah. while they're in Fanghorn with the Three Hunters. But uh, this is after Gandalf fights the Balrog and climbs to the peak of Zirig Ziggle and fights the Balrog and ends up killing him, but he's kind of laying there and he's just he's basically going to die if, if something doesn't happen. Um, and Tolkien describes, so at last Gwaihir, the wind Lord, found me again, and he took me up and bore me away. Ever am I to be, ever am I fated to be your burden, friend at need, I said. A burden you have been, he answered, but not so now. Light as a swan's feather in my claw you are, the sun shines through you. Indeed, I do not think you need me anymore. Were I to let you fall, you would float upon the wind. Do not let me fall, I gasped, <laughs> for I felt life in me again. Bear me to the Lothlorien. That is indeed the command of the Lady Galadriel who sent me to look for you, he answered. So I love that because just in that little excerpt, there's so much going on in that, mm -hmm. okay, why is Gandalf so light? Is, it, is this when, you know, he's being transitioned from Gandalf the White to Gandalf, or I'm sorry, Gandalf the Great to Gandalf the White? Is this yeah. that his I, I don't know it's just it's interesting to kind of ponder uh and then the the lady gladriel think about how wise she is she knew like hey i know that gandalf's reported dead but it's gandalf maybe go yeah, yeah. fly around and see if you can find him uh and then bring him back here to lothlorien yeah, I love that. And I love how, too, the Eagles even have a little sense of sarcasm, too. A burden you have been. Like, yeah, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you, you've, been, you've been a burden, but not so You're having to save your butt. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, but yeah, then obviously the next time that we see the Eagles is the rescue of Frodo and Sam um, at the fires of Arundruin in The Return of the King. And this is an excerpt. Then Gandalf stood upon the hilltop and called, and down to him came the great eagle, Gwahir, the wind lord, and stood before him. And this is a really interesting uh, 
interaction between Gandalf and Gwahir. Again, he says, Twice you have borne me, Gwahir, my friend, said Gandalf. Thrice shall, fa- uh, thrice shall pay for all, if you are willing. And I love how even like that harkens back to first stage, if you are willing, when uh, yeah. uh, they're talking about Hurin and Gondolin as well. Um, you will not find me a burden much greater than when you bore me from Zurag Ziggle. So he's saying, even though I've put on a few pounds since my transition, <laughs> it won't be that bad. And Gwahir again is like, yeah, I got you, man. I, I will bear you, whether you will, even if you were made of stone. Again, showing like, yeah, I'm strong enough. Like, I can take you. I, I, I joke about you being a burden, but at the same time, I mean, I, I, can, I can pick up stones. Like, I'm, I'm super strong is pretty much what he's saying. And he said, then come and let your brother go with us and some of the other folk who, mo- who is most swift, for we need of greater speed than any wind. And after, so it, it, I've, I've heard this as a fan theory. We don't know it for sure. But he's asking for at least three eagles there, right? And in the movie, we see three eagles, one for Frodo, one for Sam, and then one empty one. Because Gandalf is on top of the one that picks up Frodo. I've heard that that empty eagle was supposed to be for Smeagol. Yeah, I've heard that too. I, I don't know. I wonder, I wonder if that's one of those like Easter egg things that Tolkien just put in there, wondering if people would notice. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just always thought never, that was interesting. Yeah, he never explicitly says this one's for Smeagol, but that would be a very Gandalf-esque thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, especially just because Gandalf has been the one to talk to Frodo about pity when it comes to Smeagol and showing that this character still has some worth in his life. And even at the very you know end of the world, the fires of Mount Doom, he's like, yeah, I'm going to look out for him. And just in case. I don't know. It speaks to redemption and in a sense that, I mean, obviously, Tolkien hated metaphors and analogies, and I'm not going to you know say that this was his his interpretation, but I kind of always think of Gandalf as kind of that Jesus figure. He's always looking out for the little ones and always giving us another opportunity, you know, to be saved. And so I don't know, that's, that's my own interpretation, but yeah, well, again, that's what Tolkien always said is he doesn't like allegory because it's forced upon the reader, um, which rings of power is terrible at because that's all it is, is allegory. (laughs) Um, But he likes he likes history true or feigned because it you're able to interpret it on your own and come up to your own conclusions forced upon you. So I don't, I think Tolkien would be happy with, you know, Oh, that's what they got out of this. Perfect. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. forcing that on them, but that's how they interpret. So yeah, for sure. But I think you're right. I think you're right. Now, after the war of the ring, that is, you know, the, the third age, the ring is destroyed and you know aragorn is crowned king the eagles departed middle earth and it doesn't say where to necessarily but i mean we can all kind of expect they're going back to valinor uh, where they are from to kind of return as like a job well done like we did what we set out to do and now we're back um in the land of the west as we hear many times again so seth uh, put in here in the uh, outline just some some reasons why <laughs> there's no airdropping uh, the ring of, into the fires of Mount Dunes just using the eagles. Because, again, so many people who, you know, kind of poke fun at Lord of the Rings always say, well, you know, they could have just taken the eagles there and dropped the ring in and everything would have been done in 30 seconds. Well, there's a lot of reasons why that is not true. One, you would miss the best story of all time. 
Um, <laughs> but two, the Eagles are not taxis, right? They are a dangerous machine, as Tolkien, uh, as Tolkien says. And he even, he even says explicitly, like this is an interview about the Eagles. He said, the Eagles are a dangerous machine, and I've used them sparingly. And that is the absolute limit of their credibility or usefulness, which Seth and I were kind of talking about this offline. And, you know, Seth interprets this, and I agree, is just, he's saying, I didn't want to ruin the story. Like, if I did overuse the Eagles, yeah, it would probably be ruined. But at the same time, like these eagles are not just taxis. They are they're proud and and you know great creatures of their own race. They're sentient beings as we've talked a lot about. And so, you know, I think Tolkien is saying like these these eagles are 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 helpful for the story in a lot of ways. They're convenient at times, but they're definitely not just something to be called upon at will. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree. Um another reason that they no airdrop ring to fire by eagle um as <laughs> some people would say if you can imagine like capital lower cat lowercase capital yeah, lowercase yeah. type of type of stuff um is that that the whole reason this the quest of the ring actually succeeded was because of stealth um yes. as, as boromir would say one does not simply walk <laughs> into mordor um that's kind of what would be happening if you just sent the eagles right so Sauron never considered that the fellowship was going to try to try to destroy the ring. If you read Lord of the Rings, they Sauron is very very confident in his interpretation that the fellowship are going to try to use the ring um against him in war. Uh mm-hmm. and so that's why it works to destroy the ring. Um and if I guarantee that it would have been obvious and it just wouldn't have worked if, you know, the great eye sees Gandalf riding some eagles headed towards Mount Doom or or a Druin. Um, that gives everything away. There's no stealth. Um, all secrecy would fail, and there's no way that the that the eagles would get to Mount Doom um, because of what Sam will mention here. Yeah, and on top of that, the the Nazgul's and the fell beasts um, that are always kind of hanging out there by Mount Doom, and because I mean, you you think you think about it, like yeah, the eagles seem to be the the like overpowered, especially in, in Peter Jackson's Return of the King, you see the Eagles swoop in at that battle, the final battle on the on the gates of Mordor, and the Eagles are just taking out the the fell beasts, no big deal. And I don't think that'd necessarily be the case. Especially like you think of nine Nazgul's and just kind of circling around Mount Doom, like the Eagles wouldn't take the risk of flying straight into that. You know, again well, also after the Witch King is dead. Well, sure. Um, yeah. And so eight, it's after. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I'm saying like if they would have just done it from the beginning, the witch oh, king yeah, would have yeah, still yeah. been alive. You still would have had Sauron's magic and his sorcery, you know, right. because he's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely would not have worked out as people would have uh, liked it to, I suppose. But um, yeah, this is this is kind of what we had brought up uh, and thought of the, the eagles of Tolkien's world. And they're like we said, they're they're interesting. They, there's not a whole lot about them and they come at very opportune times, um, which is cool and, and, and always exciting to see that on screen. We did get a little peek of that at the rings of power. Uh, what it looked like a dragon bringing down one of the eagles in the little prologue that Galadriel does, which I actually really liked that. I think that was cool, but it was like half a second and then it was gone and the rest of the show, meh, but you know, <laughs> uh, but I hope you enjoyed our little excerpt, our deep dive into the eagles and the birds of middle earth uh, any final thoughts on this seth 
No, I, I, I think that, um, I don't know. I was contemplating the Eagles a little bit and it's like, you know, they kind of come and go into the story. It's, it's very similar to when you see an Eagle in person. I, I mean, it's, it's kind of a blessing to get to see one in person because they're just, you don't see them that often and they kind of come in and they're incredible. And your, your, you know, your vision is torn away to watch them fly and watch them move. Um, and then they fly away and, and that's over. And that's kind of the same way that they're used in, in Tolkien's writings where when they show up, everybody's aware and, um, it's a big deal, but they don't stay for long and then they're gone again. You know, that's a great connection. I, I, yeah, as you're saying that I completely agree. I've only seen Eagles a handful of times, but every single time it's like, oh my gosh, it, it, you're right. It is such a blessing. It's the it's Eagles. A, <laughs> it's the Eagles. Yeah, you're right. It's like, oh my gosh, the Eagles are coming. And, but yeah, then they're gone again. And it's always just a, a, a sweet surprise whenever you get to see one as it was for everyone in Middle Earth as well, because usually that came with either news or just much needed uh, air aid. Air, air, air aid aid from the air <laughs> aid from the air i like it yes well we have reached that point friends where we are calling for aid gondor is calling for aid we're breaking into the halls of metaseld and we're shouting gondor calls for aid will you rohan answer our aid so if you enjoyed the podcast please light a beacon of your own by sharing it with fellow friends and fans also don't forget to like subscribe or leave a review we'd love to hear what your thoughts are good or bad doesn't matter and one of these times we gotta have a Tolkien story show up in this uh, email of ours, weckpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear, even if you have thoughts on Rings of Power you want us to share on here, or if you have thoughts on you know, the books, interpretation of the movies, whatever it is, we'd love to hear your thoughts on Tolkien and what his world has done for you. Uh, but until next week where we dive into some more Tolkien lore, we bid you a very fond farewell. Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts no, Podcast. No, okay, come on. <laughs> come on. I'm trying to be the new Elrond. That's uh, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs>